please pray with me. Holy God, please send your spirit among us that in these words we might hear your word. Amen. You know, I have a uh, confession to make, and that is I do like having an occasional break from preaching. (laughs) There's one thing about Sunday, and that is that it comes every Sunday. And it's nice every once in a while to say, okay, today I can relax. I don't need to preach. But after two weeks of not preaching to you, this whole past week, I was starting to get eager to say something. (laughs) When you get used to preaching, some part of you just has to keep standing up and trying to say the word. Now, I was looking back over some of the sermons that I'd preached before this little mini break. Uh, I preached a sermon on uh, on peace on September 11th. We looked at the importance of vision and church visioning after that. We talked about the importance of spiritual care and then talked about ecumenism and our different connections with different churches. And as I was running through these sermons, one after another after another, I was like, gosh, you know what's what's something I'm missing? I'm missing a good old-fashioned jump into the biblical text A chance to just wade into the Bible and figure out what God might have to say to us in those words. And so for this morning, I want to do just that. And we have for our text, uh, a text from Paul's letter to the Romans. Now Paul's letter to the Romans is uh, the most theologically dense uh, part of the New Testament. It's also the most important part of the New Testament for Protestant theology. And I know what you're thinking. Romans, my favorite text. <laughs> oh, don't worry, it's one of mine too. But we're going to, but it, it, you find out. <laughs> For our text this morning, we're actually skipping over a lot of the complex theology you find in chapters 1 to 11. And we're jumping right into the heart, the fun part, the great ethical verses we find that Herman just read in Romans chapter 12. These are verses that are classics, they resonate with everybody. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in the spirit. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. And as I was going through this text uh, this past week and reading it through line by line, And praying about it. One thing kept coming back to me. And that was that that first line. Let love be genuine. Really serves as a topic for all the lines that follow. That you could say that all the lines that follow. uh, Hating what is evil. Holding fast to what is good. Showing mutual affection. All of these are subsets of our command. That God gives us through the Apostle Paul. To let our love be genuine. The words in Greek, it's just simple. In the, the, the Greek is just love genuine. As straightforward as can be. Agape, that great sense of Christian self-giving love, genuine. We supplied the verb. It's not even needed. These two words just juxtaposed. Love genuine. That word for genuine uh, is the same word as uh, unhypocritical. That's literally what it is in Greek. The etymology, unhypocritical. Let your love be unhypocritical. Let it be sincere. Let your love be genuine. 
In 2011, I moved to Ames, Iowa. Talk about a culture shift from Boston. The first thing that strikes you when you move to a place like Iowa, you are struck by how darn nice everybody is. <laughs> this is something that you're unaccustomed to in Boston. <laughs> I mean, you walk into the grocery store, a high V or a fairway, and people like say hi to you that you don't know. And you're in the, gro- you're in the checkout line, and people are like, how's your day going? And you like, look around to see whether there's someone that the person actually knows, and you realize they're actually speaking to you. And most shocking of all, <laughs> for a Bostonian, this is, this is a lot. People not only follow the speed limit, but when you're at a, an intersection, they're like, no, no, you go. No, no, you go. No, no, you go. No, no, you go. And for me, of course, they'd be like, you go. I'm like, okay. You know, it's, it's pretty easy. There's this infectious niceness to the Midwest. This infectious sense of people being caring and wanting to to love one another. But the funny thing is, when you bring up this to Iowans, they'll often bring up something that they call Iowa nice. This is a phenomenon you see in the rest of the Midwest too. Sometimes people call it Midwest nice. And what they mean is that some of these Iowans will explain, well, this niceness is really cultural as much as anything else. People might not actually believe what they're saying when they're nice to you. So uh, it was after a while I discovered that you don't know who might be people, people who like you and who don't. Someone might not like you at all, but they'll be perfectly nice to your face because that's what you do in Iowa. You're always nice. But of course, we as human beings aren't always actually nice. We're not always actually happy. And so after a while, after living there for a while, this is one thing that disturbed me. I longed for Boston, where if people don't like you, they tell you. You know where you stand. But you're in Iowa, and there's this sense, after a while, there's that sense where some part of this is just lacks authenticity. There's that, you can't help be struck, but that some of this love, while it might be authentic, other parts of this love aren't genuine. And if we're honest, we sometimes find the same thing in churches, where people come to church, and they're all very nice and smiling, very happy, loving, but, you know, in their own heads, they're saying something that might not be quite so kind. When you talk to non-church people about what they don't like about church, one thing that comes up again and again is that church people are hypocrites or hypocritical. I see at least some people nodding. <laughs> when I was in Iowa, I remember talking to a woman, um, a woman I knew fairly well, in her uh, late 50s. And she was not a churchgoer, which in Iowa was a rare thing. She was not a churchgoer, and I felt I knew her well enough to ask her why. She described how when she was a child growing up in Boone, Iowa, and attending the first Methodist church in Boone, Iowa, that her mother was very involved when every Sunday. And uh, she was very much a church person in church. She, was, uh, uh, she put on that great show. But at, at home, the experience of this person I knew was a mother that could be very emotionally abusive and even at times physically abusive. And so week after week of sitting in church and seeing her mother act as she acted in church and then seeing her same mother act how she acted at home was enough to turn her off from church for the rest of her life. Church wasn't a place where you found genuine love. 
I was talking with a friend here in Houston not all that long ago. This is a friend who uh, grew up very much churched. Uh, his family was very involved in their church community. His father was, in fact, the uh, principal of uh, the church school that was attached uh, to the large church that they were attending. And he was describing how when his older brother uh, had a, uh, an addiction, developed an addiction to painkillers and had to enter rehab, his parents refused to talk about it with anyone. It was a secret. Because they didn't want to tell the people in the church that their son was in rehab. And for my friend, it just drove him bonkers that his parents couldn't be honest about what was going on to these people who were in their church. And it turned him off from church. This wasn't a place where you could find genuine love. Have you ever experienced that in Texas? You're going around and you find that there just needs to, there's, there's too much inauthentic love. What are some of the roots of it? Part of it, of course, is societal expectations. You know, we have certain expectations about how church people should be. Uh, in Iowa, there are certain expectations of how you should act. And even when you're not feeling that way, you feel like you have to act that way in order to live into the expectations. And these expectations can sometimes lead to a lack of honesty. You're not honest with yourselves about how you're feeling. You're not honest with others. That societal expectations can get in the way of genuine love. But at the same time, we, of course we have expectations of how people should behave. We all have systems of ethics that are in our head, usually unspoken. Think for a moment in your head of a time this past week when you saw someone that you thought was violating an ethical norm. Oh, that's not right. That person shouldn't be doing that. I bet you can think of an example. These societal expectations are everywhere, and they're not always healthy. Another thing that can get in the way of genuine love is our sense of tribalism. And that leads to a lack of empathy. So we, of course, it's easy to have empathy with someone who's like you. You can see someone who's like you, and as they share their experience, you're like, oh yeah, I can see myself there, I'm with you. But when someone's not like you, it's very easy to... When they're explaining something, just dismiss what they're saying. Put them in a box. They're in a different tribe. We see this most acutely now in our political discourse. Uh, if you're in the Green Party, you have very particular views about all other candidates. If you're in the Democratic Party, uh, you might have very strong views about candidates in other places. If you're in the Republican Party, you have very strong views about candidates in other places. Same thing with the Libertarian Party. There's this... Uh, lack of empathy driven by our tribalism, where if we take the time to actually listen to people and try and understand them, to try and ask, why do you hold the views you hold? Explain it to me. And you actually make an effort. It's amazing what that can do, but that tribalism gets in the way. It's the same thing that leads to uh, racism in our society, that leads to homophobia in our society, to sexism, to xenophobia. Uh, to Islamophobia, there's this sense that this person's different, they're not in my tribe, therefore I don't have that sense of empathy, and without that sense of empathy, how can you have genuine love? <clears throat> so what do we do? How do we get there? How do we embrace this? This is where I'd like to take a look at what Paul has to say. 
in his letter to the Romans. Because the thing is, with Paul, those first 11 chapters that we didn't read, that lay out his theology, his ethics actually flow from his theology. And when you get a sense of his theology, even a rough sense, the ethics start to make more sense. In chapter 1 of Romans, here's Paul writing his great letter to the Romans. In chapter 1, he's writing to the Christians in Rome, and he starts off by saying, after his initial greeting, he's like, those Gentiles, they're such sinners, aren't they? And of course, all the Christians in Rome are like, oh yeah, those Gentiles, we all know them. They're idolaters, and their idolatry leads them to do all sorts of nasty things. Oh, those, stup- those foolish you know, Gentiles. And then Paul, in chapter 2, turns it around and says, well, isn't it funny, you have the law, so therefore you actually should be following the law, and you're not, you're just as bad as they are. So he sets them up well with chapter 1, and then chapter 2 comes in and says, by the way, you're just as much of a sinner, if not more so, because you know what you should be doing, and they don't. That the basics of Paul's theology, his theology is set up on this notion that human beings are sinners. Now, we don't like talking very much about sin in First Congregational Church, and for good reason. Sin is often used to control people. It's used to make people feel guilty. Oftentimes, talk of sin does not lead to grace. But when we avoid sin altogether, we actually miss an important part of what it means to be human. We are broken. We are selfish. We are wounded. And the reality is, everyone is. That's what Paul's saying in in chapters 1 and 2. That we are sinners. We are broken. We are wounded. Look into your own soul. As I say in A Few Good Men, that place you don't talk about at parties. Look into your own soul and think about how you actually are as a person about your own failings, your own brokenness, your own selfishness. What's amazing, if we can be honest with our faults, if we can be honest of who we are, and we can be honest that we're actually not all that good a person, it allows us to actually break through some of our societal expectations, and it allows us to have more empathy with others. When you come into a church, a church should be a place where you can be honest about saying, hey, I'm going through a lot right now. Or I feel really broken, or I messed up this past week. A church should be the first place where you should be able to say, I am not good. That's what churches should be all about. Not, quite, not the opposite. This should be a place where we can be brutally honest about who we are as individuals in our truest sense. And when we are that way, it's amazing how we see other people too. Someone else is mean, someone else is nasty, someone else has used it. You know what? They're just as much a broken person as I am. Being able to see that can create empathy. Why is that person acting the way he is? I'm curious what his story is and where he is broken. After Paul lays that out in chapters 1 and 2, he then comes to his great theme uh, of justification. And what Paul says is, Paul says that God has looked at you, God has looked at your soul, God knows exactly who you are, God knows just how much of a sinner you are, and God has pronounced you righteous. God has put you on the right side of the ledger. You are a child of God and blessed in God's eyes, and you know what? It has nothing to do with your actions. You are not blessed in God's eyes because of something you did. You are blessed in God's eyes because you understand that God exists. You understand that at God's core, God is about love. 
When you see Jesus of Nazareth, you see someone who expresses that love and that healing and that compassion, and you believe that. You realize that uh, the suffering, the blood of Jesus that was shed, is suffering that, doesn't happen, that is not the will of God, does not have to happen in the future. That that suffering happens so it doesn't have to happen again. That's Paul's message. You are a child of God. So how do you find genuine love according to Paul? You sit there honestly with who you are. You can actually sit with your own brokenness and yet you can also hear that word of love from God saying that you are a child of God. So when you look to the person to your right, the person to your left, it's people that you know, yeah, you might see someone who's a spouse, someone who's an engineer, someone who's a teacher, uh, someone who's retired, someone who's a middle schooler. But hopefully you can see someone who might be broken just like you. Who might be wounded just like you. And if you can hear that sense that you, are, that you are a child of God yourself, maybe you can see them with a bit more compassion and love than you would otherwise. When I was at Yale Divinity School, we had a worship service every day. And at the end of the year, the very last worship service, as we walked in, they handed us out sheets of paper, small sheets of paper, and on them were written parts of these verses we read from Romans 12. And at the very end of the last service, as our benediction, different people would stand up and read the verse they had. So that as you looked around and saw these graduating seniors, the last thing that you heard are them saying, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in the spirit. These are words that we cannot hear repeated often enough. And I hope as you leave here today, you can let those words ring in your own mind. Let love be genuine. And consider what that might look like in the week ahead.